Hi, and welcome to the Future of Development podcast. My name's Anthony Montategi, and I'm here to inspire people to find amazing careers in the construction development world. like our podcast, please make sure you hit the subscribe button down below. If you really like our podcast, make sure you hit the little bell. John, welcome to the show. It's exciting to have you on. I've been uh, anticipating you for a long time uh, getting to speak, spend time with you. Well, thanks, Anthony. It's a pleasure to be here and uh, looking forward to this as well. Great conversation the other week. You know, I got uh, I got a chance to uh, dive into your book, and uh, you know, when I and I try to get to it, you know, I'm I'm a fast reader. I, I knock a book off a week, and a lot of books I read uh, really tend to have you know maybe a chapter or two of real significant information, and I find the rest of it kind of a filler. And uh, when I got into this, uh, it was a um, there's it's, there's depth and weight to every chapter, so it's it's kind of interesting uh, how you did that. What what uh, what got you inspired to put this together? Well, I appreciate that. I you know I I was uh, I'm always been an avid reader of books and leadership books uh, for for as long as I can remember. And I think one of the things I always found, Anthony, I read a book, I get drawn into it, I love it, and then uh, I'd kind of be left with, okay, well now what? At the end of that book, I'm like, okay, what do I do with this? <laughs> so my goal with this was to give concept combined with and ideas combined with actionable steps and and make it a book that's a lot of stories which as you know you you see a lot of stories because i think that's what helps make a point it's memorable i've had a lot of different experiences over the course of my life and leadership so it was really okay how can i put together a book that's interesting that's fun to read that's easy to read but also at the same point actionable and uh, I think the reader uh, gets that. I think it's uh, every chapter has something different. There's a good flow. And I'm ideally hoping the reader leaves and has a really clear path. Okay, here's what I got to do. And here's how I can become a better leader. You know, it, it people are always, you know, when we're looking at leadership, and I love unwinding leadership, right? For me, uh, leadership was one thing when I was younger, like I had this vision of if I could lead, people will then pay attention to me, and I will get seen, right? And uh, that was, as a young man, I had these insufficiencies about uh, myself, and, and if I could be a leader, then you'd have to pay attention to me. And as I, uh, as, as I did work, and I tried to lead from that, from that guy, I only got me to a certain level of, of, of abilities, right? That, that guy uh, showed up as kind of insincere. He showed up a little bit uh, uh, troubled. Uh, the younger me that uh, was a leader from, you know, kind of a, a lesser than personality, right? A, a place where, um, you know, it, it was, it was if, I, if I, the feeling I have was if I could, if I could have leadership, then I'll be happy. Then I'll have this. And, and what I really found out was, I was all twisted up about what that meant to be a leader. Yeah, that's such a good point. You know, and I think a lot of people suffer from that. And to be honest with you, I did too. I mean, I thought okay, leadership came from a position and you can't really be a leader unless you're in the right spot and you're in the right position. I mean, I think that's most people's natural tendency. You just assume, okay, you know, to lead the baseball team, you got to be the coach of the baseball team, you know, to lead the company, you got to be the CEO. And it's not the case. I mean, you and I have both seen that and, and people in general have seen leaders that have a position that really don't have power or influence, 
Uh, and it ultimate, and you see people that are not in positions. You know, it's funny when I walk into an organization, I can quickly see who the real leaders are. I can see the people who have just a position and really no influence. And I can also see the people that in a room um, may not have any role specific position around leadership, but they have a tremendous amount of influence. You know, it's the person that people look to. You know, you just watch people's eyes in a room and you can see where their eyes gravitate to, who they're looking at for reaction to something. They're looking at their, you know, they're trying to take their cues or looking at them for advice. And they're usually not the one that's even speaking the most. They're usually not the one that's speaking the first, but you can tell if you watch that room, you can tell who the real leaders are that emerge. So I just learned a lot about that. I said, okay, what actually causes that? Like, how does somebody get that level of influence where it really has nothing to do with a position and it comes down to a few key things one is people people there's a trust level that's there they know that person cares and and really truly has an interest in them they don't have a hidden agenda they don't have some sort of a you know a, an ulterior motive uh, and there's a competency level there's a there's a confidence that they have in them whether it's a successful track record or experience with with something uh, but they have a level of confidence that if I follow this person, they're going to take me to a place that I want to go and that I can't necessarily get on my own. Um, and they know that person is somebody who's authentic. I mean, there's nothing worse than somebody saying something and then you really know the real, real deal is very different. They talk about doing something, but they, their actions don't support it. So uh, it's always fascinating to me, to your point, it's not something that comes from a position. It comes from these other things. And uh, the position is really just a title. It doesn't really mean much uh, unless you have the other components there that help you influence people. It, it took lots of learning. As I, as I evolved as a young man, I, I look back over the people that I thought were great leaders. You know, I worked in a butcher shop when I was a kid and I had uh, two different butchers. You know, my mother thought if my son would be a butcher, she said to me, look, if you have that as skill, uh, you'll, no matter what happens in life, you'll always be able to go to a grocery store and cut meat. And I thought to myself, Okay, that's my mother wants me to have a, a trade, I, and I'll learn a trade. Now, had I stayed there, I'm not, you know, my life would have been a lot different, but uh, it was a great thing to learn. And my first boss I had, he was a really grumpy old guy, and he'd just walk around and he would cuss at everybody. Like, like literally, he, he would yell across there, hey, you know, he would do some, some derogatory expression at you, and he would, come on over here, you messed something up, and in front of the whole place. And it was just, you know, working for him was, you're always scared, right? And uh, there was, you know, it was not very inspiring, right? You you uh, were always trying to hide from him. People around you were trying to protect each other from him. And uh, it was a rough place to, to work. And then the next guy I went to work for was, was just the opposite. His name was Frank. And Frank was this beautiful old man who just wanted the best for you, right? He, he, he was the, the perfect example of a family man. He loved his wife. He loved his kids. He was this example of who I wanted to be in life. Like the way, you know, that he interacted with the world, the way he interacted with the customers, he just exuded this, this way of being, and it was simple. It wasn't some show. It really was who he was. He never, it wasn't a show. And I think I look back and go, that was one of the greatest examples of, of doing that. Now that's, you know, that was at a simple level. And, and I was like surprised. I don't know that I translated that yet to leadership, right? As I got into the business world, uh, there were a bunch more leaders and they all were a little bit different. And I think you get, uh, for me, I, at least I got something from each and every one of them. Some what I wanted to be, but oftentimes more what I didn't want to be. 
Yeah. And that's such a great point. You know, we learn so much about leadership from not just the great examples of what we see and the people that influence influences in the right way, but also the bad leadership, you know, and this, unfortunately, there's so much of it out there and you see things. And I remember the same thing, you know, I had a, I, when I was new in, in uh, business right out of school, I had a really tough leader. And, and I thought it was interesting because he was, he was, he was really, uh, he was harsh. He was abusive. He was extremely talented and competent, but to my prior point, nobody, including myself felt like he really cared about us. He cared about his results. He cared about his income and he was sometimes very overt and open and candid about saying that, you know, Hey, you know, if I, you don't do this, I'm not going to get my bonus next quarter. And I just remember being 22 years old and thinking to myself, is this what leadership is? Because he was actually getting results. But what I finally realized is you do get and can get short-term results with that. You can't get long-lasting leadership or influence and effects from, from and loyalty. People just don't tolerate that, especially now. This was you know, 25, 30 years ago. Now, today's leader and tomorrow's leader is entirely different. That, that style just doesn't work. Uh, but I remember that. And, you know, to your point, the Franks of the world, the people that really demonstrate it's not just about barking orders and getting people to to obey and salute and and follow a, a mission. Yes, you can bully people into things short term and lead out of fear. But the leaders that that try to do that find over time, that's just a losing proposition uh, because people have a choice. You know, they're not going to stay around. They're not going to work for that type of leader when there's other there's Franks out there uh, who truly do have an interest in them. And, and that type of leader really, really, truly shows you not just what your job or role is about, but they show you how to live life, right? I mean, these are people that emulate exactly, you said it, you know, he was who I wanted to be. I wrote that down. You know, that's leadership, right? Somebody who's helping you and by showing you an example of who you want to be. I don't, I don't think there's anything better than that. Being the example, right? I think that's a, there's a lot to talk about in that in that section, you know. But I think it's kind of fun to go back a little bit because I find it interesting when when people get into this leadership training and get into this your 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 example of doing this and writing writing a book, all of that stuff's neat. But let's kind of go back a little bit. What? How did you get into this? Where did? How did this? How did your life path get you to to writing books and and being a leader, leadership coach? Well, it's funny. It goes back a little ways. And I'll tell you a story about it, too, because it was kind of a fun story. The, my first real kind of aha moment about what leadership was, was way back in high school. I didn't even know what it was. I had no idea. But I was uh, played baseball. And I was the type of player that uh, I was a pitcher. And as far as batting, I was exciting to watch, but not the guy you wanted in a clutch situation. I swung for the fences all the time. I either hit a home run or I struck out. And I truly led the team in both of those statistics, which is kind of crazy. So I led the team in strikeouts uh, and led the team in home runs, which was which was fun. But so up comes the situation. It's like, you know, it's a bases loaded, two outs. I come up to the plate. We're down by, I think it was run, one, one or two runs. And um, it wasn't ninth inning, but it was maybe sixth or seventh. And uh, I'm thinking to myself, I'm walking up to the plate. I'm like, I'm going to strike out. I, I'm, I'm, I am going to strike out. This is ridiculous. And I'm like, why am I in this situation? I, and my, I, I look at the guy, my runner, my teammate on first base, he turns around and notices that it's me coming up to the plate. 
And he kind of does one of these eye rolls. I'm like, oh, come on, man. That's not what I needed. And uh, so I'm filled with all this negative self-talk. My coach on third base must have noticed that and read just my body language. And he's like, okay. So he calls timeout. I go to my coach at third base and my teammate is there who's on third. So it's the three of us. And my teammate says, John, just hit the ball. I'm like, oh, well, geez, thanks, man. That's, you know, mind. <laughs> Uh, it's incredible, mind-boggling. Um, but my coach did something that was so phenomenal, and it was without skipping a beat, and it was just so matter-of-fact. He just said, oh, I know John's going to hit the ball, but listen, John, when you hit the ball, try to hit it to right field so we get in two runners instead of just one. And I just remember being like, I am going to hit the ball. He knows I'm going to hit the ball. There's no question about I'm going to hit the ball. I know I'm going to hit. He knows I'm going to hit the ball. Why wouldn't I hit the ball? Of course I'm going to hit the ball. I walked back to the batter's box with an entirely different mindset. The next pitch came in and it was nothing other than I know I'm going to hit the ball. I truly was trying to hit it to right field. Like I said, I'm closing my stance, working on thinking about a little bit of delay in my swing and um, pitch comes in. I hit it perfectly and over the center field fence for a grand slam. And I'm, I'm walking, I'm like rounding the bases and I'm thinking that was unbelievable. I literally was going to strike out. I knew I was going to strike out and I truly feel I would have had it not been for that inner, that moment that the coach redirected and reframed my thinking as I'm rounding third, I'm like making eye contact with him. And it was like this, you know, Mr. Miyagi moment, you know, looking at each other and round third base. And he's like, well, I did say right field. I'm like, Oh, gee, come on. Man. <laughs> but um, it was great. You know, and that was the first time I noticed, I really understood what leadership was. So that I really truly became obsessed with it at that point. I like, how does one person influence the course of action and change the future really by changing how somebody thinks, you know, I had no confidence. He lent me confidence in that moment really is what I look at. He infused me with confidence, gave me something I didn't have. And it drastically changed the outcome, but it wasn't even just the game. It wasn't even just a hit that changed my confidence in the next game and the next game. And the next game, it had this long-term ripple effect. So, you know, honestly, Anthony, I became fascinated with leadership from that point on. So when I got into corporate leadership and I got into uh, my, my uh, work, which was as a financial advisor, I was looking for opportunities to really develop as a leader. And that really kind of began my path. Uh, so long answer to a short, a short question, but that's how it all started. And then ultimately, I got this great opportunity at one point uh, after 20 years of running businesses uh, and turning around companies to now teach it and not only have done it and lived it, but now teach it and help other people become better leaders. You know, I think that uh, one of the things I noticed about teaching and being there, it, you know, there's there's a sense that I don't get it until somebody else gets that I get it right when, when when somebody else get when I when I teach and I lend my my, my you know support others or you know uh, each one get carry one each one go back and support one and as I help other young people that are that are coming into the business or as I support them and you know they get that I get it ultimately that's how I get it you know so it's kind of like that example of as I train I now get things and I, I kind of got a feeling that you know writing a book has got to feel like that as you write all these sides I mean your book every chapter is full of different ideas as you're writing that uh that experience had to have been uh, some, something like that huh it really was yeah you know sometimes you don't take time to kind of reflect on the things 
that you really have learned. And there's nothing like writing a book. And it's the same thing if you're writing a journal or you're teaching something, the best way to get great at something is teach it. So that's one, I talk about how to learn leadership one way, truly, I learned a lot by writing that book. I learned a ton. I had things bubble back up to my memory and thinking about, wow, this was the situation. And what did I learn from it? And, ref- and how, how, what can I pass on other people as a lesson from this? So it's, I think whether it's a journal, uh, whether it's working with a coach and reflecting on things and talking through things, I think so much we're in the moment and looking forward. We don't sometimes reflect back enough on what's happened. Why did it happen? What could have caused it to be different or what caused it to be that way and use that in the future? And that's, I think, what writing a book helps you do. You know, a, a lot of the stuff that, that uh, we go through, right, as, as humans, and, and especially in leadership, you know, that example that you are, right, and you're taking these lessons that you've learned through your life and you kind of go back and reflect on them. But a, a lot of the stuff that I had to overcome was myself, right? I mean, uh, your, one of your first chapters talks about overcoming yourself, right? Coming, I, you know, as a young man, I had, uh, I had a lot of different wrong experiences. One of them was, a drug, was drugs and alcohol, right? I took a, I took a little sharp turn and at first. It was fun and I had all this uh, great experiences with those. And there was a lot of stuff that, you know, that took me down a path that was fun at first. And then at the end of it became kind of a, a troublesome. And while I was there, you could see, you could kind of see my business life go through those same experiences, right? As I kind of started off kind of a, a nice little run high and I'd go out drinking with people and it was a lot of fun to be there. And then it became a habit. And then I, it was like the easy button, right? You know that uh, I got one on my desk. Mm-hmm. That was easy. Right. I got, you know, and I kept hitting that easy button. It was kind of fun to go out drinking. It was kind of fun. Right. I kept hitting that button. I kept hitting that button, kept hitting that button. And then it stopped working. Right. And then a lot of the character defects got built up in there. And what I've really noticed is as a leader, as I went back and noticed that, right, that that deep self-awareness, that, that part of you that says, yeah, man, that's not working. Right. And it didn't happen by myself. In fact, I couldn't even see it myself. It happened with the people in my, you know, people did an intervention on me and the people in my office said, Hey, Anthony, we're worried about you. And I'm like, Oh, don't worry. I got this. And then my mother, Hey, I'm, I, we're worried about you. Don't worry. I got this. And I still even then couldn't see it until I got to a point where one day I was like, yeah, I don't got this. And uh, it took a minute to get off the merry-go-round to spend some time and some deep thought. And, you know, I had to go through uh, rehab for a bunch of, for 30 days and, that was a real reflective time for me. Like, wow, maybe I didn't have this, but I could never have had the path into the self-development stuff unless I got into that really deep reflective uh, part of me. Right. It, it, and unfortunately you had to go through some real rough stuff to get there, but it feels like that's where that, that self-awareness part is so valuable, right? Having, having the ability to be rigorously honest with yourself. Yeah, it really is. And first of all, congrats on getting your life on track and in a big way. Obviously, that's a huge uh, mountain to climb and you've done it tremendously well. So congrats on that. It is it is unbelievably difficult. You know, it's interesting. It comes from our, our basic need to protect ourselves. Um, we don't want to acknowledge the things that we're not good at or the bad habits we have or the demons inside of us or the things that we deep down inside know are not leading us in the right direction. We tend to give ourselves undue credit and too much credit on the things that we have as good habits. You know, I, I stepped on the scale not long ago and I was five pounds heavier than I had been previously in like a week. And it was a number I had never seen before. So it was like my all-time high. I'm like, what? Yeah, I'm working out every day. I'm, I think I'm eating a good diet. And I couldn't figure it out. 
And I was like frustrated. I literally thought the scale was broken and uh, I was convinced of that. I convinced myself the problem was not me. It was the scale. In reality, when I went back and truly took an inventory of what I had eaten that prior couple of weeks, yeah, I had taco feast and burgers and pizzas and ice cream and this and that. And I just, there was a reason, a very logical reason as to why I gained weight. I wasn't willing to believe it. You know, the, the tough thing is, you know, it, it takes in order for a transformation to happen, it starts with brutal honesty. There is no transformation that happens unless that happens. So it, you know, when you say friends had to point it out to you, that's why you know, we all have blind spots, whether it's because of this, because of our need to protect, and we just don't truly want to look at us at something that is ugly about us or acknowledge something, uh, or it's something we truly are not aware of and we don't see. You know, I, I've always worked with a coach and I obviously coach people professionally and executives, but I've always worked with somebody because of that simple reason. One, they take the emotions out of my decision-making, but they also help me see the things that I can't see. Everybody needs that. You always need that, no matter what your role is and, and the most successful people understand that as well. Uh, so it starts with that and really, truly, if your organization is not producing and growing the way that you want it to, you have to take a hard look at the facts, not opinions on what you think is happening, but truly the facts of what is happening. What do the numbers look like? You know, what's the activity level look like? You know, what's your process look like? Not, not what you think or how people are feeling or taking a guess. I just see leaders make that mistake all the time. It's getting an accurate picture. And, you know, to your point, that's, that started your transformation, really understanding, okay, here's what happened or is happening. And I've got a choice either to stay on this path, do nothing, which is the cost of inaction, or, okay, I've got to make a change. And uh, fortunately, you did. And people, when they're faced with brutal honesty, that's when it triggers uh, a change that will last long, long time. Well, yeah, I, I think that a lot of things I noticed, though, is like I didn't at the time realize that I would, I, you know, look, during that time of life, I was going through rough times. And even when you talk about diet, I've cut out sugars and I've cut out breads. And but I did that for a reason was one of the reasons where I didn't realize how addicted to food I was. Right? I didn't realize that I'd go to work on a diet and every night I'd be sitting on the couch and I, I would say to myself, just go upstairs. Right. My, my bedroom's upstairs. I go, just go from the couch upstairs. And all of a sudden I'd be in the, in the kitchen swallowing a row of Girl Scout cookies. And, you know, like somehow or another, something drew me there. It was very similar to the behavior I had when I was drinking or when I smoked. It was this, un, this, this, this addictive behavior I had that was undermining my desire. Right. I would, I would, there was a lot of stuff I didn't even notice that was happening. And it would, you know, I, I call it cunning, baffling and powerful, right? Those, that, that uh, ability to not see what was there wanting to do better like here knowing that if i go upstairs this is the best thing i can do for myself right go just go to bed and not eat cookies that'd be great and then you know it, you know that shame of feeling of i can't believe i just did this again right? i can't believe that you know I, i'm gonna be hungry you know my brain would talk to me that well you're gonna be hungry if you eat a couple of cookies you'll sleep better and you have and the truth is I, as soon as i'm done eating those cookies the shame would kick in you're like i can't believe i just did that i'm gonna go upstairs and i'm trying to hide it so my wife my wife wouldn't see the cookie mess that i left because i didn't want her to be all you know shame oh god my husband ate cookies again you know because there's but that was it you know there was a, an addiction in the sugar 
So I had to go through some stuff there to, in order for me to get to the next levels on a bunch of things, I had to go look at some of the things that were undermining it, right? Some of the behaviors, the, the drinking was one of them, right? Smoking was one. Like if I couldn't be healthy, if I was smoking, uh, I couldn't be healthy if I was addicted to sugars and I couldn't manage a diet there. So some of the stuff I had to do to work on to be able to, to do the next level of work, right? Does that make sense? I, I kind of oh, feel yeah. like, yeah, there was a little bit of that, that pre-work. I had to get over the, the, the hump and then I could work on the other ones. And from there, it was a lot easier to work on the other ones. Well, it's interesting because it's, you know, things are connected, um, good habits and bad habits. They have a ripple effect and they're connected to other things. So, you know, we tend to, I, we talk a lot about the fact that when you want to start a new habit, tied in with something that's a positive habit that you already have, it's easier to link it together to something than to just start something brand new. So do something right after you brush your teeth every day, whatever it is, something you're already doing. If you want to meditate for 10 minutes every day, just do that. But I think about the, the negative side too, you know, it's, it's very tough because it's not, it might not just be the drinking. It's, it's not just the decision to, Hey, go from not drinking to, Hey, I want to go, you know, have a bunch of beers or drinks or whatever it is tonight, but it's, it could be other things that are pulling you into that. It could be the people it could be, Hey, I'm with a certain person. I have fun with this individual or people. And I don't know how to have fun unless we do what we normally do, which is go to a bar and have some drinks. Um, and then I do that. And yeah, I want to say, okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to drink, but I'm going to stick to my diet. I'm going to be really good with this. And I'm just going to, you know, this will be my vice is the drinking, but I'll stay on a really good diet. Well, but then I drink and I get hungry and I have cravings for salty food. And then all of a sudden now I'm, I'm blowing my diet. So now, now my negative energy and depression that's caused by that is now because of not just drinking, but it's also the diet. And then, okay, well, at least I'm going to get a good night's sleep and I'm going to make sure I do that. And, and then that disturbs my sleep and I don't get a good night's sleep, but that's okay. At least I'm going to wake up in the morning. I'm going to be tough. I'm going to go to the gym in the morning and I either can't do it, don't do it. Or when I do it, it's a, you know, a terrible workout. So now I've taken this one thing that I thought I could kind of silo into this one. Hey, I'll just keep, this will be my little baby vice and this will be my outlet. Everybody need, and we rationalize, right? We say, Hey, you know what? I work hard. I need to play hard. I need some sort of an outlet. That's going to help me deal with all this pressure that I'm putting on myself from being a high achiever. So this will be my outlet, but I'll keep it at this. But before we know it, it's that and this and this and this, and all of a sudden we now take away all the things that we were doing. Well, we're not as focused at work. We're not as energized. We're not as rested. We're not as confident. We're not as effective it has this negative ripple effect. Yeah, and that, that, you know, that negative ripple effect starts to feel like who I am, right? All, all of a sudden I start buying into, well, I'm, that just must be who I am. And, you know, that's too bad. I was pro I'm, I'm not as good as those guys. If I wish I could be like those guys, they, they've got something I don't have. And, and it, it was, it's, it's, you know, it's been that constant looking at that, you know, I call him Fred in my head. Right, Fred. Excuse me. Fred lies to me all day long. He wants to make me believe that that all that stuff's true. And the truth is, nah, I, I just was. I, you know, these were just where I was at the time. And as I've broken through those, 
and I, and I got off the, the hook part, right? The, the part that made me go do it, right? The stuff that I, I didn't even know I was competing with, right? I didn't know that I was in withdrawal every day. I, literally, I, I didn't, I didn't feel like I wasn't shaking. I wasn't like a, like one of those bums on the street. I, I had a career and a family and a life and I didn't look like an alcoholic. I didn't look like that. I, I it, my story didn't look like that at all. In fact, I had a Mercedes and I had, you know, a great business. It just, it all of a sudden, that but it, it just underwrote it underwrote it right the story was a great cover-up fred in my head kind of covered that up well but as i start to unwind that and look at it go hmm now if i want to go conquer some things like health what are some of the other character defects that are in my health like you can't be healthy and smoke great so let's go uncover that one right then they were like a little bit at a time you start to uncover those and those are the hooks that allow you to be a little bit freer and feel like now I can go do those little incremental growths on other things that I wasn't able to do when I was in the, you know, addictive mode. Exactly. And it's really, it's all about the small changes, right? It's not, it's interesting because we don't, it's a slippery slope before we know it. And we've all been there where we're like, wow, how did, how did this get to where it is now? Like, how did, it seems like, you know, and whether it's a, a culture of a company whether it's diet, weight, uh, bad habits, drinking, whatever. It's like, sometimes it's like, how did my life get to this point? Uh, Norman Schwarzkopf tells a great story, General during Des Desert Storm, where he uh, went to inspect a military hot zone. And from a long distance, he could see one of the um, soldiers in red boxer shorts, like that was it in the middle of this place where they're supposed to be highly secure and highly camouflaged and how did it get to the point where a soldier is walking around and feels it's okay to run around in red boxer shorts in the middle of this area and, you know the 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 commander that uh that that uh base there made the comment it admitted say you know what it started with allowing people to, okay, you don't have to wear your helmet all the time. You know, then it's, you don't have to, yeah, you can unbutton your shirt a little bit. Then it's okay, just wear your t-shirt. And then it became, so it was one thing after another, after another, after another, and before you know it, now people are running around in red boxer shorts. It's okay. So it's, but the good thing is it works the other way too. So it doesn't have to be this insurmountable, gosh, how do I get my life back on track? How do I, how do I go from where I've gone off the deep end or to this other one end of the extreme? How do I go all the way over here? It just starts with thinking about what's one thing that's going to make a 1% difference. What's one little thing that's going to slow the progress in a bad way and start to put on the brakes or even better yet, turn it in a positive direction. Start with that, do that. Because what that's going to do is give you the confidence to take another step and do something else. And if people are only focused on that one thing that will bring miraculous transformation. It's the progress, it's not perfection, it's not getting it fixed. It's just taking a step toward getting it fixed. And that will oftentimes make all the difference in the world, getting the momentum going and all of a sudden, before you know it, you say, wow, how do we get to where we are in a positive way, not a negative way? I really got that from your book. I really got that. It was a practice, right? It isn't, it isn't a get it. It's a practice, right? It's kind of like there's your, your book is full of those kind of like, let's try, you know, try these on the end of the book is great. Cause it's got a kind of this 30 day, uh, try this today. Like, and just try this today, like all day long, this might be a, a practice that you do. And like you said, it's not perfection. Like I, I'm not gonna get it perfect, but if I implement this today as a practice, and then I build on that tomorrow with another little bit, right? And I build on another little bit. 
all of a sudden those the small little incremental changes uh you know uh, there was a three percent conversation there like just small little incremental uh growth changes uh how does that influence influence uh you know influence my whole life and i, I really that for me has really been a big part of it right it was been a, been a big part of you know the companies that have grown the businesses that we've had all the different uh uh, aspects of going from where we are, where we were to, you know, then, and as I started working on myself, those parts of me that started working on it, but then taking those same practices and apply them to the business, right? If we just go work on, uh, look, let's get a little bit more organized. Let's figure out a spreadsheet or a checklist or today, you know, as a project comes in, how does it get handled? And we're able to train people from here, right? A lot, when we first started CDO group and, and the company we had, people would come in here and we go here, drink off a fire hose. Yeah. Right. You know, just we didn't have that system. Then. And the new companies that I, that I grow, oftentimes that'll happen, right? Until we kind of see how the system needs to happen, you start to identify processes that get a little bit smarter and uh, a little bit more organized. Yeah. I, you know, and I talk to leaders a lot and, and ask the question, what is the 3% that would make the other 97% happen? You know, what can you do? What can you find that's going to make everything else either easier or totally not even necessary? Um, you know, and, and uh, you know, I use that not just business-wise, but personally. I mean, I think about uh, just to, you know, go back even to working out. I mean, I used to work out, go to the gym in the evening, and there's different goals that I have in every single day. I want to work out. I want to be energized. I want to sleep well. I want to eat well. I want to drink water. I want to drink enough water, 100 ounces of water. That's tough. I mean, I, I don't do well with all of those on every day. I try. But what I found is that if I do one thing, it makes it a lot easier. And that's if I work out early in the morning versus late at night. I drink more water because I drink it right during the workout. And uh, I eat better through the day because I've already worked out. I have more energy. I sleep better. It all kind of helps that. But that's not even it, because for me to wake up at 530 in the morning, and go to the gym is not easy. I don't like that. I'm not naturally an early riser at 530. I've got to put that takes a lot. And there's days when it's cold or rainy out. I'm like, I don't feel like doing it. But what I figured out is it's not that I have to wake up and go to the gym at 530 in the morning because I don't. All I actually need to do is I just need to stand up. I just need to put my feet on the ground and put my gym clothes on. That's it. That's all I need to do. The rest will take care of itself. Because once I've done that, I'm not going back to bed. I'm going to go brush my teeth. Once I do that, I'm going to grab my car keys. I'm going to leave. Once I'm in the car, I'm not going to pull back into the driveway. I'm going to go to the gym. And once I'm there, I'm going to work out. I'm not going to sit in the car. So in reality, that's all I need to do. That's the 3% that not only makes the 97% of the workout happen, it makes 97% of the other personal goals that I have for the day happen. So I challenge leaders to think about that for your organization. What is the 3% that would make the other 90% happen, 97% happen? What, what are the, what's the role, the first role, if I'm starting a company that I need to hire for, that will make everything else easier. I see that being a mistake sometimes. What's the problem that we need to solve that will open up the door and pave the way for smoother uh, results and better, bigger results moving forward. If I remove that one obstacle, what will help remove everything else? There's all different ways that you can apply that, but it, it works, that's leverage. 
the uh, that that rule. I love when you talk about in the, in the morning working out. I same thing happens. You know, I I put my sneakers out the night before, my my shorts out bef- the night before, and uh, if I can get the key is getting from my bed over to the sink and start brushing my teeth. If I can get there, and I have a, I, I play a YouTube video every morning, right? I, I have like a motivational group of uh, stuff. If I can, I just turn that on before Fred talks me into going back to bed, right? All of a sudden he's in my head and, and, and the voice, <clears throat> well, you know, you've worked out three days this week. You deserve a rest day. That that voice comes up a lot like, oh, just take it easy. You know, you're, you're, you're doing just fine. Maybe today your body needs a rest. And the truth is, nope, that wasn't planned in there. If I wrote down, I'm, I'm making it to the gym today, I got to make it to the gym today because if I lose that one, I lose the day, right? Like, I feel like, I always say it to the guy at the gym at the door. I'm like, I got, today's my day, right? On the way out, I'm like, it's my day. I made it here and I made it out of here and I had a great workout, right? And and now the rest of it kind of lays in and there may be some wins and losses throughout the day, but at least I started in a spot where I took care of this part of me, right? The me. And then now I can go work on taking care of other people because right? I've got something to give away. I've taken care of me. And, uh, you know, and I think that's just one part, right? Like the, the the one part of physical health, I think, is great. But I love what you said before about coaches. For me, I've got like a team of people around me. Like the, literally there's a team of people that support me. I've got a couple of different coaches, right? One that's on the financial side, one that's on the on the business side. And then I've got uh, doctors, right? I've got doctors who, who are, you know, I've got this great concierge doctor who, uh, who did, she really works on the nuances of my health, right? That really, really puts it in there. Um, you know, and then other people who work on my sobriety stuff to keep me, like if I keep that going, that's a good shout that I'm going to always, you know, have something to go. So it's not just, it's not just one one thing that we do, I think, I think it takes kind of a village to raise me, right? Yeah, it's so funny. It's so true because I, I, I find that so true, Anthony. You know, there's if I find I've never seen somebody who's very successful uh, or happy even that is not surrounded with people, great people. It's not like you find this one great person and they're surrounded by a bunch of turkeys or mediocre people. It just doesn't happen because that's exactly what you're saying is true. You know, you, you find those great people. If I find, I find one person that I really love and want to follow and I'm influenced by usually the people in their network, there's other people like that too, because that's how it works. That you benefit from those people around you. We don't realize that enough. Most people don't. And the people that are, that are getting held back by some of the people they choose to surround themselves with and I say choose because it is a choice you're making, um, they're, they're not even willing sometimes to admit it. It's like we talked about early. They just, it's one of these things they don't want, they rationalize in their mind. Well, I get this from this person. They bring me pleasure. They bring me, I'm not saying there's not an element of that that's true, but we have to be real and say, okay, is this person or people that I'm choosing to surround myself with truly helping me become a better version of myself? Uh, or not, or, you know, if that's, if that's the case or not. And unfortunately, we find that we do make bad choices. I find very successful people are very deliberate about reaching out and getting the top people to surround them. They don't just naturally happen. Sometimes you got to go reach out and pull those people into your circle. And, um, and that is sometimes what it takes too. you know, the, um, I, I don't get it right away. Sometimes it takes me a little bit of time for me personally, I, I look through um, 
I, I kind of feel like growth happens in these ebbs and tides, right? I, I kind of get it for a minute and I'm getting some good stuff and I'm getting some feedback from the people that are working here or the different companies I have, or I, you know, I have got someone that's run this company over here and I, I get a little bit of feedback on what they're doing. And I may not even see, you know, I had a group of estimators in yesterday and, and the amount, amount of estimating we're doing through this one group, it, it's staggering, right? I mean, like we do three to five, you know, uh, uh, one to $3 million on an average day. Some days we do three to $5 million worth of estimates. And, and I mean, think about that. I mean, a worth of estimates going out of a group every single day. That's just a tremendous success that they're doing over there. And, you know, we're winning in the success of that. But a couple of weeks ago, or a couple of weeks ago, last week, we had, you know, we had five bids go out on the same day and it was a disaster. Right, we had a, we had a couple of people uh, that were out. To, one of the one of the two people that work in that department are a couple, and they were getting married. And uh, you know, she's she's like an assistant in the in the for part of the group, and he's the runs the group, and uh, kind of kind of a unique situation. And uh, they were getting married, and we had five bids going out in one day, and we kind of sent a couple of them in. They were terrible, and then there was a lot of that thing where you could feel everybody kind of finger pointing. Because right? I don't know about you, but as soon as something goes wrong, my brain's natural instinct is to go blame somebody else, right? I, I don't want to sit back and take a look at it myself. And I, I, you know, I sat down and I heard a bunch of rumblings and people were going to quit and people were mad at each other. And well, number one, it's I got to look at it. I'm a, I, it's my company. So how do I, how do I, what's going on there that people are in that shape today, right? So first, I have to have some grace that uh, th that group is doing a lot of great work, and it's something that I'm doing as a leader that's not supporting them or not seeing something yeah. in support of them. And, and, and I, I hold myself accountable for that. So we got to sit down yesterday and we really got to dig into it. And part of it was just having grace for the amount of work that they're doing and the, how, how amazing that group is at, uh, at doing the work they're doing. And then remembering, hey, we didn't mess it up on the day that bids were due. We messed it up three weeks ago or four weeks ago when we realized we, we got these bids and we didn't stop and think, hey, those people are getting married. Those, that team's getting married. Those, that couple's getting married. And that's going to affect our, our production, our, our ability to put things out. That thinking. So now let's just take a look at, let's get that back in the system, right? How do we look at a process that looks ahead at what's going on ahead when those bids are due? And that was a system that was an organization that we did not have available to us before all of that blew up. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, so there's a great learning from that right? as we sit back and if, if I can take respons responsibility for it, now, I also say we also need to get some great, uh, uh, you know, technology in there. Right. This group is, is performing. Now we're where can I go find some technology to support them. And I would not have gotten that unless we sat down and got rigorously honest about what happened and, and people were vulnerable and like, yeah, I blew up. And Anthony, have you blown up before? Yeah, I blown up before. I, you guys have seen me blow up here before and it wasn't my best self. But, uh, you know, let's try to avoid that. Let's have grace for each other when we're going under pressure and see what we can do to maybe, uh, you know, mitigate that from going forward or create a process where we can see that better uh, than, than we did before. Yeah, there, there's so much there that you said that, that's so important. You know, one, one of the things I, I see the best leaders and the best teams and the leaders leading the teams where they're so good, there's so much accountability, there's so much uh it's a very safe environment they really breed an environment and a culture where the the people on that team are not only willing but they're very uh proactive about sharing mistakes or issues or challenges that they've had with the rest of the team to help make them better but the best teams are also ones that they digest things very fast they don't sit on things and hang on things and blame people they just hey here's what happened let's talk about it let's learn from it let's figure it out 
and then let's put it behind us and move forward. They're very quick at doing that. The ones that I find that are, and just logically makes sense, right? If I can if I can deal with something, address it, move past it, I can move at a faster pace. If I am hanging on to it and just dwelling on it, um, and this applies for leaders in general, I mean, uh, you have a bad interaction or bad meeting or bad uh, sales experience or you miss blow something, you're hanging on to that. That's now affecting the next interaction you have. That's affecting the leadership that you have and your effectiveness with your team moving forward. You've got to be in a place to be able to package that, get past it and move on. And that's, that's what it sounds like you did real well. You know, the, uh, the work you do when you work with companies, talk a little bit about that. So you, you come into a company and, uh, you know, you, you, they, they're looking for some support, right? They want to, they're, they're ready to go to the next level, right? I oftentimes say the best coaching I get is not when I'm in trouble, right? I mean, although I've brought people in when something's messed up or uh, we, we want to work on something. I, I, we had some issues with uh, some financial accountability and, and some, but we blew some budgets uh, in, the, in the first quarter and we had some come in and, and look at that and go, all right, how did we miss that? But I think more important is when I do the work, when I'm not in trouble, right? When we come in and, and the company's doing great, right? We're, we're having a great time, but now we want to hone our skills to maintain that and grow from there, right? Because when a team's doing great, that's the best time to start growing, right? It, it kind of feels like uh, now's the time to double down on the work that we do. And what I mean that is I, I, I always say to the leadership group, this is the time where leaders need to do more work on themselves and then as they and then bring that to the group right because as i do work on myself i get to bring that to the group and then the group gets to do that uh and we all kind of grow so talk to me a little bit about how you do that when you come into a group how do you start to look at which is the path to take for their development yeah i think it centers around the fact that there's nothing more important in an organization than leadership and leadership skills I mean, there's tons of examples of companies that had a great product or service and failed um, and there's some that had relatively mediocre products or services that did wildly successful and it's leadership that it comes down to and what i find there's not a ceo out there that doesn't rec doesn't want to have more and incredibly highly skilled leaders on his or her team because the smart CEO understands the power that that gives them. The problem is we do most of our leadership work and teaching and learning leadership just on the fly. And there's no real, there's no real direction. There's no real focus on it. And it's like a pilot learning how to fly a plane with passengers on the plane. You can't do that. You wouldn't do that. You would never do that. There's too much cost to that. Well, we do, we, we learn and we teach leadership that way. We assume that leadership, we don't even deliberately do it, but we just put people in a role and, hey, they're going to figure it out. I cannot tell you how many leaders I talk to that say that, hey, I never really learned how to do this. I never learned this leadership thing. And leadership is learnable. The great thing is it's not like becoming a doctor where you have to go through years and years of school and then you've got to go through all these and almost a decade of work before you're actually able to do something. Leadership, it can be a 1% little difference in skill set and making a better decision and handling a certain situation and, and uh, identifying an opportunity or communicating something the right way that ultimately makes a dramatic difference. So there's all these little opportunities. So when I work with a company, it could very much be on developing their team. It should not be a situation where the leader, I mean, the CEO or the business leader or the head of that department or division is making all the decisions. If everything is rolling to that person, 
there's a, a very clear bottleneck and it's you, it's the leader. And granted, some leaders want that, they want the control, but then you have to accept the fact that your organization will be capped. You will not grow past a certain point because if you've got to be connected and involved in everything, there's only so much of you that's going to go around. So if you truly want the organization to grow, then your, your leaders need to be equipped and they need to be developed in a way where they have decision-making, they have, they're empowered and they're able to do the things that you're doing right now. It shouldn't be, I've got, I've talked to a, so many CEOs and business leaders that are like, I want to, I don't want to be able to, I don't want to be called when I'm on vacation because there's a problem. I shouldn't need to do that. I should feel like if I step out and I'm gone for a week or two or three weeks or a month or two months, the business runs better without me there almost. That's the sign of a great leader. But that comes with developing those leaders. And that's, in essence, what I do amongst a lot of other things specific to the business. But in general, that's I have a blast doing that because the results, when you do it and do it right, are huge. And it's uh, it's fun to see. But, you know, it, it, you know, I've, I've gone through that, right? My wife took over a CDO group uh, as a as the president of the company a couple of years ago. And that was my baby. I grew that in from the basement of, of my house, you know, when there was like just a couple of us in the basement, you know, to the, you know, for 24 years, I was the president. And most of who, what I was wrapped up in is I'm the president. I, here, I would introduce myself. Hi, I'm Anthony Montague. I'm the, I'm the president of CDO Group. And it was a lot of my personality. And I became the bottleneck, right? We had brought on these great people and a lot of me needing to be there and, and show well, it really was about protecting the company, thinking that if I wasn't there to catch every raindrop and spin every plate with them, I was messing out. And and there is some value because there, I was I was pretty good at the work I did, but it was capping where we could go, right? If we wanted to break through thresholds and, and go somewhere else, I had to step back. And, you know, I had this business coach who came in and, and as a woman and she she would say to me, you know, hey, so what's going on? And and I guess someone from the leadership team had, had said, hey, you know, he was out today and he just kind of did this. And I, I was, the, I'm the king of doing an impromptu meeting. I walk into a room, I'm there, let's have a meeting, let's talk about something that's happening. And I would change the production ability, but you know, there was some value there, but it was also not productive. And, uh, and she comes and goes, so what's going on? Are you feeling a little insignificant? And she called me out. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah, that's, that, that, might, that might be it. Right. Yeah, and I really started to notice that there was some significance change. And she goes, here's what I need you to do. She goes, I need you to lock your door. And I need you to stay on your side of the office. And you're not locking people out. I'm locking you in. And I'm like, well, what, what? And there was some vulnerableness there, right? And, and the truth was that at first, there was some things that didn't go right. But it wasn't, it, that was what needed to happen for those few months that it took to, for everybody to kick in. Because I would walk in a room and take the oxygen out, right? I wasn't letting people do what they did. We had these amazing people. And then all of a sudden, I got out of the way. And today I look at him and go, man, I don't know why I didn't get out of the way a lot sooner. Today I'm the founder of the company. She runs the company better than I ever did. The, the group, the people that they work together, and you know, I was more like this militant coach, very, very uh, uh, militant about, it, very uh, kind of a, uh, you know, go get them kind of attitude. And she's more of a family creator, right? A culture creator. Uh, people love working together there. They, they're long-term players. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of fun to watch the differences. And then 
I had to do some other things to kind of find some other, that's where the podcast came. That's where some other things in my life got to grow, but I had to create some other significance in order to, uh, to -hmm. fill that void, which was great. Right. But, but it was vulnerable. I mean, I was really, I can tell you, I felt really stupid, uh, not doing what I did for 25 years. There was a real sense of sitting there feeling really stupid for a minute. Well, it's, it's a whole bunch of things. And that's such a great observation. You know, we all want to feel needed. We want to feel wanted. We want to feel, it makes us feel important and fills our cups. It, may, it makes us feel like we're really relevant too. When we're not involved in stuff, there's a natural feeling of like, okay, well, I'm, I'm not needed. I'm not that good anymore, whatever. It plays with your mind. But yeah. it's, and I think a lot of leaders are struggling with it because they say, you know, I, I don't want, if they use an analogy, it could be like a, a baseball coach that's that's telling that's almost like calling the pitches, telling the pitcher every pitch to hey, you got to throw a curveball here. I mean, there's truly some leaders that are that plugged in where they want to really be involved in every decision, and they're like, I could not go to the other end of the extreme, and and you're telling me I need to not show up for the games and not even be there. No, just start with giving up that. Step back from that. Let the pitcher or catcher call their own pitches. Don't get involved in that game. Let them do their thing. And then, then not even, then, then take a step away from the coaching and let, and, and if I'm not even saying not show up to the game, so to speak, show up to the game and watch, let somebody else do the coaching of this game. doesn't mean you have to be totally far removed from it. Eventually you probably don't need to be at every game. If your role is you're running the whole league, let's say, or you're, you know, so I guess the, 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 uh, the difficulty many leaders have, they want to stay so plugged into things. Great. You don't have to, in order to stay plugged into everything and know what's going on, you don't have to be the one making all the decisions and doing everything. If you need to, make sure you're looped in on stuff so you feel close to the business until you feel like you don't necessarily need to be close to that part of the business. So the point is, it's little steps, not that giant leap that you have to take. But when you see that, like you did, you step outside your comfort zone, you give up a little bit, you stay in your office, let other people do stuff. It takes a little bit, but before you know it, then people are really feeling good. Your A players, because your A players don't want to stay in an organization where they can't really be the leader that they want to be. If you're there coming out of your office, making all the decisions, what are they there for? They're just going to go somewhere else where they can make a bigger impact and somebody's going to give them, have a sense of more confidence in them because that's how they read it. Well, you know, my leader doesn't have enough confidence to allow me to do this stuff. He or she's got to do it. So you know, why am I even here? Maybe I'll take out, take a look at another organization that, that will give me that opportunity. Uh, that's right. That's right. And, and it's, it's, you know, it's fun to take these steps as we go through them. At least for me, it was, I, I, and be vulnerable and go through that. You know, today I, I get uh, an hour a week with each one of the leadership people, and that's a great hour every week, right? Every one of those meetings I get to have are full of a great relationship building with them. I get to uh, understand the business you know, from what, how they're thinking and I get to understand them more important than anything. And I get to be supportive, right? It's, it's a role that I never imagined I could do and trust that they, they're actually doing an amazing job. And every once in a while, I, I, I say they, they roll out the old, the old man to, to come uh, to dive into something. And, and look, there's a lot of great knowledge stuck up in his head. So they, you know, get to tap into it, but I don't have to be there uh, to do it all the time. And now the organization's, you know, doubling in size. And, and uh, I think that's, a, it was a great experience to go through that. And also gives me now bandwidth to do some things that I really wanted, wanted to go do, right? Some, some new, this podcast for me has been, 
just a joy. I, I get to spend time with, with guys like you that are, you know, leading the leadership conversation, different leaders of different organizations. It has been such a joy to, uh, to step out of myself and get a little uncomfortable and try something new on. And, you know, I keep evolving, which at this, I, I believe that at the end of that, I can give back to the company in another way. Right. So, um, you know, I think these are the places that, uh, you know, being vulnerable works out for us pretty well. Yeah, definitely. It allows you, you can now impact more people. I mean, you think about, you know, CEOs and people like yourself that run multiple companies. I mean, there's no way you could do that unless you step back enough to allow yourself the ability to do that uh, with other companies and take on more. And that's, that's the key to it. And you found as you've done that, you've become more effective, uh, not less effective, but more effective. You're impacting more people, more organizations, more success, doing the podcast, a great, great podcast, uh, you know, doing great stuff. So it's amazing. You're, you're, you're showing exactly what uh, I'm talking about and teaching is uh, through your own experience. John, I got to say, it's fun doing this with you. Uh, I, people got to get this book. It's the, the book is tomorrow's leaders, how, how the best leaders become, become better. And uh, it's an, it's a great read. If you, if you guys have it, it's, it's the kind of read that uh, you can read in segments. So, you know, uh, I, I read every night before I go to bed. It's, it's a great kind of a, a, a meditation practice reading for me and uh, your book. Uh, I, I just got it. So I've been, I've been diving into it. I was trying to commit to reading it all before I got to this, uh, to the podcast, but there's so many great thoughts inside of there that I really sat and thought about them. And, and, you know, like, like I like forward to doing a 30 day exercise, right? There's kind of a, there's a whole part, there's a whole, uh, you know, 30 days and what to do for 30 days and try one on. Uh, there's a whole value exercise, which I thought was cool, right? Uh, trying to pick out what my, my top values in life are and uh, taking a look at that. I mean, talk a little bit about that. How did you get into the value uh, exercise? You know, I, I got into it through my own experiences of making bad decisions, honestly, candidly, and realizing that when I made bad decisions, it was because, and we've all made bad decisions, but oftentimes it's because my, my decisions were not aligned with my values. And um, anytime that happens, one is your values are really your guiding principles. That's how you, that's who you are, what's important. It's how you live your life. It's how you ultimately make the decisions that you do typically, but sometimes we make decisions that don't line up with that. And that's where uh, ultimately there's going to be this internal rub and a breakdown and things are not going to go well. So I, I really believe in that uh, starting with understanding what your values are and then matching those and assessing those against your decisions. You should be able to see almost in the course of your week, as you watch somebody and interact with somebody, you should almost see what their values are. If one of their values is health, you should see healthy activities. If one of their values is family, you should see a lot of family time and family activities. If it's relationships, if it's knowledge, if it's you would see the things that are really lining up with that. That's, that's how you know you're living in alignment with your values. I think that's a great one. Another one I love is the make make a promise to yourself, right? You got to take five to make five promises to yourself. And I, I, how did you get that one? You know, I, I think a lot of times we uh, it's it's we we sometimes will not will let other people down sometimes, uh, but more than we do ourselves. I think it starts with saying, listen, what what is something that I'm going to do that's truly for myself that I know if I do this, this is going to be the outcome and then reward yourself. I mean, honestly, when you do something and you stick to something, 
you've got to have a great reward and know that you are doing it uh, and, and reaping the rewards of that. Um, and it's okay to pat ourselves on the back and then make another promise to yourself. And that's how you grow. I just, look, listen, all you listeners are out there. You want a book. I, look, I read a lot. You guys know how many books I read. I mean, I, I'm normally a book a week, uh, most weeks, but this is a book that, uh, uh I didn't expect I, I, when I, when I got dove into it, the amount of stuff that's in there that just brought joy and thinking to my brain. If you're uh, if you're looking for a great leadership book, John's book is amazing. And not just that, when you're done reading it, he tells you how to get a hold of them, right? I mean, how many writers leave in there? Hey, look, you got a question, or you want to get some support? Here's my here's how to get a hold of me, right? And uh, uh, John, this book is great. The work you're doing is fun to be around. I, your podcast is also fun. Uh, uh, the leader, the uh, tomorrow's leadership uh, podcast, right? Yes, Tomorrow's Leader Podcast. Uh, you can find it on uh, on all the podcast channels. I would love to have you, which we talked about on uh, as a guest, because I know you can offer a lot. So uh, it's right there. Uh, they can find it accessible there or even on my website, which is johnlarito.com. Yeah, we'll have, uh, I mean, by the way, we'll have a link to that down below. So make sure that uh, uh, if you loved this podcast and let John and I know you loved it, make sure you give us a thumbs up on it. If you really loved it, please take a second and subscribe because that's all we the feedback we want is, you know, just knowing that uh, we're hitting it. If any comments, please leave us some comments. John, I am so grateful. I'm honored uh, to have you on your, your, uh, you, you carry weight and depth and your conversations are fun to be around. Uh, I'm grateful, brother, for the uh, for the time. Well, thanks, my friend. It's been a pleasure. And uh, congrats on all the awesome stuff you're doing. I love the work you're doing. And obviously, you, uh, you, you bring a unique spin to all the conversations and leadership in particular. I've, I've loved talking leadership with you. I'm looking forward to doing it again. Thanks. All right. Uh, thanks. We'll have you on again and uh, see you soon. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining us. My name is Anthony Montegi, always looking for people to bring insight into the industry, finding ways to inspire people to have amazing careers in the development world. If you liked our podcast, make sure you hit the subscribe button down below. If you really liked our podcast, make sure you hit the little bell. Thanks again for listening. Please share it with your friends.